Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's On The Fly. I'm your host, Gene DiFilippo, and our guest today is the highly successful Director of Athletics at the University of North Carolina, Bubba Cunningham. Bubba, welcome. Gene, thank you. Good to see you again, and uh, great to be with you today. Bubba, I have to start by telling our audience how far back you and I go. So... I'm going to tell the story, and it may be a little bit embellished, and maybe Bubba will um, not see it quite that way, but we're going to have some fun anyway. So there were a group of us. There was Jim Livengood, Dave Hart, Bubba, myself. We were all administrators, and we decided that whoever got a job first, an athletic job first, was going to help the other people to get an athletic director's job. So anyway, I was at uh, Boston College. Bubba was working on the staff at Notre Dame. And I had, I was writing letters of recommendation for him, calling for him, doing everything. Finally, one night, I get a call. I wasn't able to answer the phone. I said, Gene, it's Bubba. Um, it's going to be announced tomorrow that I'm the new director of athletics at Ball State University. I said, Bubba. I mean, to myself, oh, man, that's great. And Bubba just got a job as director of athletics at, at uh, Ball State. So I call him back, and there's no answer. And I said, Bubba, congratulations on getting a new job. This allows me to get rid of the part-time secretary who only writes, whose only job is to write letters of recommendation for you. <laughs> is that, that a true story? That is absolutely a true story. I, and I repeat it to others now because now, you know, they, you know I am an AD and uh, we have a lot of coaches and a lot of people on our staff that want to be head coaches and want to be ADs. And they all get frustrated when they don't get the job. And I say, hey, I, I applied for a lot of jobs and didn't get them. So, and I had a guy who actually hired a part-time secretary just to help me do it. <laughs> so, so don't be too discouraged. It, it, something good will happen. Oh, that is so good. That is, that's so fun. Hey, let's start. Uh, what exciting times in college athletics. Um, you know, let's start with your football team. Uh, terrific win last Saturday. Uh, against uh, South Carolina, looks like looks like you got a really good offensive team and hopefully defense, huh? Yeah, I think so. It was a great great opening weekend for us, and uh, what Mac Brown has been able to do with our football program just in the last couple of years that he's been back has been nothing short of phenomenal. There's so much going on in college athletics between the transfer portal, uh, NIL, uh, the recruiting environment has changed. And, uh, you know, when you hire such an experienced coach as Mac, you wonder about recruiting. And he's been absolutely fantastic. I mean, he, he thrives on recruiting. He gets excited by recruiting. And I, I think it's, it's been demonstrated in the, the classes that he's been able to attract. And what we've seen the last couple of years in particular, in addition to the players, his staff is phenomenal. We have multiple former head coaches on staff. And I think you're starting to see kind of the uh, the fruits of the labor that he's put into this thing for the last five years. And that the coaching staff and the players are the best we've had. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to play great all year. And uh, it's just exciting to see. What a crazy time um, in, in, in college athletics where 
you know, teams, West Coast teams going to the Big Ten, West Coast teams coming to the ACC. Uh, we're not interested in in how your institution voted because it really doesn't matter. But um, now we've got Stanford, the University of Cal Berkeley, and uh, SMU coming to the ACC. What what was the thinking behind that? And what's the answer for people who say, oh, my goodness, how are they going to work the Olympic sports coming across the country to play this team or that team? What what goes into all that thinking, Bubba? Yeah, and you mentioned it uh, in the beginning there. You know, college athletics is just very different today than it has been. You know, conferences were designed for regional competition. And we, you know, we take bus trips and play each other. We develop great regional rivalries. But, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, as college athletics has grown uh, in every which way imaginable, it's grown commercially, it's grown geographically, it's grown socially. I mean, everything about athletics is just different today. And we're trying to figure out what does that new reality look like? Um, you know, there's some that think, hey, this is wonderful because we can play coast to coast. We can have 16, 18 teams in a league. It's just a great thing for our student athletes to experience. Those are great schools to be associated with. And there are others that are saying, you know what, it's just too far flung and it doesn't make sense. You know, you're doing this for media dollars. You're doing it for exposure. You're not doing it for the benefit of the student athletes. So there's a lot of different opinions about it. Um, you know, I, I happen to prefer more regional competition. Um, but there aren't too many leagues that are just geographically centered. And as you mentioned, you know, I was the AD of Ball State. And I really believe that uh, the Mid-American Conference has done some really, really good things for students. It's geographically located in one spot. The, the financial range of the schools in that league are, are, are fairly narrow. And so I, I think they've really done a nice job of maintaining it. I do think the Power Five uh, is much more spread out now. And I think the economics and commercial activities associated with it is something that we're going to have to, to deal with and, and learn how to revenue share differently than we have in the past. Um, we've been revenue sharing, in my opinion. You know, we generate money in football and basketball and we spread it over all the other sports. I think right now the discussion is if you are in a sport that generates the revenue, that's where the revenue share should sit. And so we're starting to, to work through those complications right now. Bubba. How do you answer the person who says in any league, not just the ACC, but how are the student athletes at Washington or at Oregon going to fly to play Penn State or Rutgers in the Olympic sports? Are the Olympic sports scheduling, is it going to change? What are the thoughts? Yeah, you know, we just, the, the league just had a preliminary uh, call yesterday about what do the Olympic sports scheduling models look like? Are there ways to minimize the impact on the student athlete? Um, so, so we're looking at that now, but I will say that a lot of people have said, you know, when these kids are in high school or playing on club teams, they're traveling all over the country already. So they're used to it. This isn't new to them because they've been elite students and student athletes um, coming up through the ranks. And so this isn't anything different. I, I understand that, but the vast majority of the travel for those students at that time would be in the summer, not during the academic year. Some of it's during the academic year, but this is all during the academic year. So I am skeptical about it. I'm concerned about the uh, impact on our student athletes. 
Um, but I certainly understand the um, the interest in playing a national schedule and trying to play against the best teams in the country. So I, I get it. I don't necessarily think it's the, the best idea, but uh, until I can come up with a better one, we're going to figure out how to handle what we have in front of us right now. Yeah. Um, when we were in the Big East, um, we didn't have the, the funds um, as a, as an institute, as a league to um, support all of the sports that we had. So a lot of our sports played a local schedule and then got, or a regional schedule and then got together at the end of the, the um, year, at the end of the season for a, the uh, Big East tournament. And the winner went on to the NCAA tournament and some large teams got there too. But um, you might, you might see, and I don't know this, but you might see some more regional scheduling and, and less conference scheduling as you go forward. Is that possible? Yeah, and there was a lot of discussion in the last couple of weeks. You know, you can play a, a, a regional conference schedule in a national non-conference, or you can play a national conference schedule and play regionally non-conference. And that, you know, I think that's likely to happen. Um you know, I, I don't think you can travel and fly to, to all your games. I think that's uh, just impractical. Uh, but, you know, so again, as I said, it, it's a different model. Uh, we'll see if it's successful or not. Um, but uh, what I don't want to do in North Carolina and other schools have done it, you, you end up tiering some of your sports. You say, we're going to fund these sports at this level and you're going to play nationally. You're going to fund some at a lesser level and you're going to play regionally or some you're not going to have scholarships or some you're not going to have coaches. You know what? We're really proud of having 28 sports, 800 plus student athletes wow. trying to be top three in our conference, top 10 nationally in everything that we do. Um, but financially, it becomes a real stretch. Uh, you know, I never my wildest dreams that I ever think that, you know, $130 million budget was going to be tight. You know, I, you know, you, you, you know, Gene, I don't know what the budget was at Boston College when your last year, but it's probably half of what I just said. Yet you're trying to support 30 teams up there in Boston College. Right, right. No, you're right. Well, but let's go on to NIL. Um, you, you've spoken out publicly, um, and you've also been a leader nationally in um, speaking about NIL. What's your take on, on what is happening? And, um, you know, we see coaches leaving – school X to go to school Y and you ask, you say, gee, that's a funny move. And then all of a sudden it hits you. Well, this school Y probably has more NIL money. So what are your thoughts on NIL? Well, I think, um, you know, what's happened in the last couple of years, I think it, it happens quite frequently in business. It happens in society that, you have something occur and then you react or quite frankly, you overreact. So I think when the Supreme Court ruled 9-0 in favor of Alston against the NCAA, that there was an overreaction from an antitrust standpoint. And so a lot of the rules got relaxed that were in place to try to create fairness and competitive equity and kind of reasonable standards for college athletics. And I think NIL and the transfer portal are two of those that were impacted by that court decision. And so I thought when NIL was first being discussed and we didn't have any, anybody had individual rights, 
I thought that the next logical step would be go to group rights and share the money equally and then figure out how that works in the collegiate environment and then move to individual rights. Because once you go to individual rights, you've already jumped over the group right opportunity. So I thought we missed an opportunity to ease our way into it, but that's where we are. I do think that uh, with the limited guidelines that we've had, which is you have to perform work to be compensated and you can't use it as a recruiting inducement, I think those lines have become very, very blurred. The other thing that I think has been very problematic is that for our entire existence in intercollegiate athletics, we have said the universities need to collect the money and then decide how it's spent. What we've done since NIL is we don't want the universities involved in these activities. So we're going to let our collectives, which are basically your booster group, collect the money and then determine how to distribute that to student athletes at your campus. That's something that I don't think was anticipated. And I think that will be the next decision that has to be made is what role should the university play in NIL activity? Should we keep it outside? That has a potential of working, if you will, if those are all business opportunities. But what we're seeing is it really is a de facto pay for play concept because the best players in the best sports are getting the most money and they're manufacturing ways to, to get the money to them. Um, if you bring it in house, you certainly have Title IX issues and equity issues that you have to worry about. Then we're still a little bit unsettled on what the tax implications are for donations to a collective or donations to a, a not-for-profit business as opposed to a nonprofit uh, 501c3. So those are tax and, and other legal questions that I think we're going to sort through in the next couple of years. Wow, very interesting. Sorry to get that technical on you, but uh, that, that's a problem that I think we're, we're just in the early phase of. Right. Bubba, I've been out of being a, a director of athletics now for about 11 years. And I'm just going to ask you, it, it doesn't seem from the outside that there is the uh, camaraderie that we all felt 15, 18 years ago among athletic directors, among commissioners, among other people. Is there any, is there any truth to that? I do think there's a lot of camaraderie and respect, but I do think the industry has become more transactional. You know, I think when you, when you create a contract for a coach and say, we're going to pay you X amount to coach, and we're going to pay you this amount if you don't coach. We're going to sign a contract to play a game, but if we don't want to play, we'll pay you this amount to not play. We've gotten to the point where there's no hard feelings for that because we have a contract that allows us to do it. But it's not a handshake and a commitment that says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to see it through. So as you've indicated, it's become more transactional. And it has been much more institutionally based that I need to do what's best for my school, even if it hurts somebody else. And I think that is relatively new. I think there was a mentality 10, 15, 20 years ago that 
what's for the greater good? And am I willing to do or get 90, 95% of what I need, but I'm willing to give up five or 10% for the good of the, of the rest. And I think there's less of that now, not saying it's completely that way, but I think that is what has kind of eroded the camaraderie that you're referring to. Yeah, I can, I can see that, you know, in the old days, um, we, we did a good job of working together. I remember calling you and saying, Hey, Bubba, how about if we play a football game? Um, in fact, I'll come to your place first and we'll, we'll play. And, you know, then you can come in and out years back to play us. And I'll never forget what a great job you did at Ball State. I'm, the fire marshal had to be on vacation because I've never seen so many people in such a small area. I mean, you had you had all those big floating uh, things that kids were jumping on. You had people everywhere, uh, picnics. It was the it was unbelievable. What a great setting. Thanks. It was great. And I appreciate you doing that. You know, you don't see enough of that anymore there. You know, a guy who uh, had to hire the part time assistant to get me a job, then comes and help me do my job. That was awfully nice of you to do. But it was a great experience that night. You know, we were playing under the lights. It was the first time uh, at that time it was called BCS or Power Five school came to Muncie, Indiana for a football game. Uh, it was it was wonderful. Uh, and unfortunately, you don't see that as much today as you used to. Um, it was a great experience for Ball State. It was a great experience for our kids. And I remember at the conclusion of that game, you know, the kids were running off the field. And we had our linebacker end up playing for the Cowboys, go into the locker room, come back out and say, thank you. Thanks for doing that, because it really made a difference to my experience. And, you know, when you, you talk about media rights and NIL and transfer portal and all that stuff, you get so caught up in that you forget about the kid and you forget about the experience you just created for that student athlete for our community and that's really what college athletics is supposed to be about and i, I think we have kind of lost our way a bit and i hope that we can get recentered on what's important how do we serve these kids and how does our athletic program enhance the educational experience of the rest of campus well said my friend well said Bubba, you've recently been put on on the Olympic Committee, and I know that you've got some meetings, I think it's next week, uh, for the Olympics, but let's talk about sport, sport in general, about a young man or a young woman participating in high school athletics, college athletics at different divisions, and then the elite athletes. Tell us about your view of sport. Well, yeah, it's it's funny, and Gene, I really appreciate you asking that question. You know, I I go back to, um, quite frankly, my grandfather. He started community education in Flint, Michigan, with uh, money from the Mott Foundation, and that concept was let's we we need to have something for kids to do after school. Let's keep our schools open. We have gyms, we have swimming pools, we have baseball fields. Let's let our community use our facilities so that they can stay active and do things. And so from the very beginning of my life and career in higher education and athletics, it's about creating opportunities for kids to play. And as I look at what we're doing today, I'm, I'm concerned that we're not creating enough opportunities for youth to play. 
because you need a broad base of youth to play, to get to high school, to get to college, to support the Olympic movement, and then eventually a few to the elite level. And what, I, what I'm concerned about now is we have so many things with youth sports today that people are specializing so early and playing a sport. If they're not on the best team, they quit. And so I, I just don't want to see sports be um, – I don't want to see the participation in sport diminished at the lower level. I think in college athletics, we have an opportunity to broad base our programs, create these opportunities for high school kids to aspire to. It's still a 500,000 kids going to college, getting scholarships to play and get a great education. In addition to that, you know, 85% of the kids on our Olympic teams have participated in college. So the more elite we get at the college level and the more concerned I become, but we want to make sure that our pyramid and our pipeline of athletes stay strong. So I think we have to, in college athletics, I think we have to look both up at the Olympians and at the pros and how do we get our elite athletes to that level? But how do we maintain enough of these other Olympic sports to, sh to show kids at the high school level and younger that, hey, you need to continue on in fencing and volleyball and in all of the other sports that support our Olympic movement because right now we are the mechanism, we are the national governing body for these sports and these kids that wanna play in the Olympics. Every other country in the world has national governing bodies that you get in and they fund it from a national basis. We don't do that. Our Olympics are funded from the collegiate space and we need to make sure that we pay attention to that and don't get so lost on just, hey, this is about football, basketball and media rights. There are so many other constituents that are counting on college athletics to support them. We need to keep that foremost in our mind as we move forward. Wow, very, very well said. Well, that concludes today's On The Fly. I wanna thank our guest, Bubba Cunningham, for making time to join us. I'm your host, Gene DiFilippo. Thanks for your time this time, and we'll see you next time.